Welcome in, everyone, to the Talking Tide podcast. I'm Chase Goodbread of NFL.com and Crimson Cover Television. I'm joined by Travis Ryer, the senior analyst at BamaOnline.com, and also, of course, the daily radio host of Southern Fried Sports, which you can catch at 100.9 FM in Tuscaloosa weekdays from 11 to noon. The Talking Tide podcast available to you at our web host at Podbean.com. Also, various apps, including iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. The Talking Tide Twitter feed is Talking underscore Tide. You can get links to all of our pod drops there. And, of course, we want to thank three fine sponsors of the show, Southern Ale House, Heat Pizza Bar, and North River Dental Associates. More on all three of them a little bit later in the podcast. But, Travis, we started, I guess, by shaking some cobwebs loose Uh, Two weeks out for the podcast in the middle of the fall. What in the world? Uh, We knew one of those weeks was coming with the Ida week. We didn't see the second one coming with Alabama's postponement slash cancellation, I'll call it, with the LSU Tigers. But uh, here we are after a couple weeks off. Yeah, it it feels like we haven't done one of these in the month of November. And it's because I guess we really haven't. I guess November the 1st. Uh, after the the ho- Halloween night game against Mississippi State, and since then it's been uh, it's been all quiet around the Talking Tide podcast. Slight red roof, uh, though. We did leave the light on for folks, you know. So we we've tried to do that, but uh, excited to to have something to talk about coming up this week. Yeah, Alabama, of course, taking on Kentucky. The Crimson Tide six and zero. Uh, and the Wildcats at three and four. We're going to break that game down for you uh, in just a few minutes. But first, I wanted to ask your thoughts, Travis, on what we're hearing about the possibility of an Alabama LSU makeup. We've now this week heard Ed Orgeron allude to it, maybe going off. And now Greg Byrne, the Alabama athletic director, saying uh, it, it maybe it could happen. And, and, they're kind of beating around the bush with the details and what I'm seeing and kind of reading between the lines a little bit, Travis, what they can only be waiting on, I think, is to see if Florida or Alabama somehow drops out of divisional contention so that then the league can play the game with the division title implications on that December 12th idle date and then maybe play the one without division implications on December 19th. But what are the chances that Alabama and Florida, the two teams now with a makeup date to play against LSU, what are the chances one of them is going to fall out of contention in the division? Pretty slim. So I, I'm I'm still scratching my head a little bit. Yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. So, um, you know, you have to probably extend it beyond those two teams and think about, say, Texas A&M in the West. So, you know, if Texas A&M is still a game back of of Alabama, but essentially needs to make up two games because the head-to-head goes to the Crimson Tide in that matchup with the Aggies, uh, it, it could still mathematically at least be that you need to play Alabama-LSU more so from the divisional perspective where Texas A&M is concerned. The problem you've got now, though, with Texas A&M is that A&M's looking at two makeups after losing the game with Ole Miss. Uh, this weekend, uh, I think Texas A&M was already in that in that makeup window for December the 12th. Right. So it's getting tighter and tighter as you get teams now with multiple postponements like Texas A&M 
that again, uh, mathematically at least, you know, they're not out of this thing. So I'm not exactly sure how they're going to pull this off. And uh, you understand this as well as anyone. Television's a big part of this too. Uh, Networks pay for LSU Alabama, regardless of the records. And games like the Iron Bowl, certainly a big part of those deals as well. Uh, So there's multiple layers to this thing. But from the competitive standpoint, it's become more problematic, not so much even because of Alabama and LSU, respectively, but because of what other teams like Texas A&M are dealing with. Yeah, you, you can definitely put Alabama and Florida in the SEC title game in pencil for now, if not pen. As you noted, the Crimson Tide not only has a one-game lead in the division over at A&M, but they've also got a head-to-head win over the Aggies. Same situation over in the East, except with one more lost beginning at the top. Florida 5-1 and one in the league, one game ahead of Georgia, but they also have a head-to-head over the Bulldogs. And so... Uh, and then you look at the remaining schedule, right? Alabama and Florida both have Kentucky left to go. Uh, the Crimson Tide also taking on Auburn and Arkansas. Florida's remaining schedule, Vanderbilt, of course, this week, then UK, then Tennessee. So the path looking pretty clear for that matchup. Yeah, it is. I, I don't think anyone, if you stopped it right now and said, okay, look, we're just going to send Alabama and Florida through to the SEC championship game. I, I don't think you have many qualms about that, but uh, yeah, it, it goes beyond just that. You know, you're, you're trying to fulfill some contractual obligations as best you can for uh, the financial hit that is television. Uh, so there, there's, there's more than just that, but yeah, I think right now most people would look at the two divisions and say, yeah, it, it's it's Florida and Alabama, and, and, and that's the way it, it could end today, and, and folks would be okay. All right, Kentucky and Alabama this weekend. Travis, some thoughts from you on that. It's been all – we'll start with the U.K. It's been all defense for that team and no offense really all season long. And, you know, whether Kentucky is good or bad, under Stoops, uh, it, it seems like that tends to be the theme with this program under his watch – Right now, Kentucky's defense allowing just 21.3 points per game. That's 24th in the FBS. But the offense scoring only 23 and change per game. Travis, 96th in the FBS. And so big disparity there. There is. Now, Kentucky offensively, you know, run the football pretty uh, effectively. Uh, Nearly 200 yards per game. That's second in the SEC. And, And I still think that's an area where, uh, Kentucky can really challenge this Alabama defense because, you know, how they go about it is somewhat similar to what you saw from Ole Miss. And we all know what happened in that game uh, last month there in Oxford. Uh, a lot of things have sort of been smoothed over since then. A lot of that's had to do with difference in styles, you know, Georgia, Tennessee, uh, Mississippi State. They're not going to challenge you in ways in the run game that a Kentucky or even an Ole Miss can because, you know, Ole Miss, whereas Matt Corral isn't a runner first, he can still threaten you with his legs, much more so than Jared Guarantano or Stetson Bennett or certainly K.J. Costello. So it comes back around again, Chase, that kind of offense with the zone read game and the quarterback threat in the run game. Um, You know, this is a – 
group of Kentucky running backs that I think are really undervalued. I think Chris Rodriguez is is one of my very favorite backs in all of college football. He, he's not gonna he's not gonna flash you. He's not gonna kill you with flash, but he's gonna run hard. He's gonna stick his foot in the ground, and he will punish defenders. So you know how far exactly has Alabama come as a defense? And I say that because it's not only going to be about what you get from this performance against Kentucky. It's going to be, in my opinion, sort of an indicator of what could be to come a week from Saturday when you face an Auburn offense, similar to Ole Miss, similar to Kentucky quarterback can run zone read game. And Auburn's going to do it with tempo more along the lines of what you saw from Ole Miss uh, back in September. So, uh, or in October, excuse me. So, yeah, you know, I, I think there's there's certainly some things to keep an eye on, especially on the defensive side of the ball in this one. Yeah, Rodriguez, as you mentioned, Kentucky's top back, a robust 6.4 yard per carry average for him. That'll get it done. Uh, makes you you look at that average and you wonder why he doesn't have more than 88 totes. Uh, but but what scratches what you where you scratch your head with this Kentucky offense, Travis? This is really unbelievable in this day and age of college football. In seven games, they've got 861 passing yards as a team. So uh, you can't throw for 125 yards a game and win in in college football anymore. You just can't. Yeah, I think if Mac Jones had ended up at Kentucky where he was initially committed, they would have a few more passing yards than that probably. But they're not built that way either. I mean, they're built as sort of one of these power spread type teams. With Terry Wilson at quarterback, uh, he, he missed the Georgia game a couple of weeks ago, looked a lot better uh, against Vanderbilt over the weekend, 13 of 15 for 110 and two touchdowns. And then, again, what he can do with his legs, seven for 83 last week against Vandy and a touchdown. Uh, Rodriguez, he's not even really the starter. Uh, it's a seam rose uh, that, that is the guy that you'll probably see out there first Saturday but Rodriguez gets into games very quickly, and he has sort of taken on that role, if not as the clear-cut starter, more of the bell cow than Rose and Cavassier smoke. So they have three guys that they'll rep on Saturday at the running back position. But you know, it's a solid offensive line for Kentucky, too. You got a couple of experienced tackles. You got one of the best centers in the SEC and Drake Jackson. They've got some injury issues right now at guard that will be worth keeping an eye on Saturday. But uh, I think it, again, I think it's a measuring stick type game for this Alabama defense with, with what's coming up as much as anything uh, in, the, in the very near future. Nick Saban used the phrase gap sound this week when he was yeah. asked about defending uh, an offense like this one with quarterback runs uh, with Terry Wilson. Wilson, of course, he's Kentucky's number two rusher uh, with 338 yards on the year. So, yeah, for sure, he can he can give it, he can pull it, he can get on the edge and hurt teams that, that have a bad read at, at, at that end spot, a linebacker spot. That's all it takes, and the quarterback can get around that edge and, and have a lot of grass on the outside uh, to run to, a lot of daylight. So uh, that's the challenge for this Alabama offense, excuse me, this Alabama defense, and uh, they've – 
you'd like to think that they've had a little extra time to prepare for Kentucky, but they really haven't, Travis. I guess maybe an extra day or two, but they thought they were playing LSU up until fairly late in the week last week before they were able to kind of flip the page and, and turn to Kentucky. Yeah, and Nick Saban has alluded to the fact that because there is uncertainty, even now on a weekly basis in terms of how the schedule might flip or change, uh, that they've used some of that time to prepare for a multitude of teams. So I'm guessing they did actually, as you mentioned, get a uh, did get a little bit of a head start on UK, maybe even Auburn from that perspective, because the trans the transition defensively from Kentucky to Auburn shouldn't be all that great of a leap. So that is one of the positives for this Alabama defense when you look at these next couple of Saturdays in a row. But um, yeah, you know, it's it, you said it. It's not a Kentucky team that if you can minimize the damage in the run game that has shown a propensity to be able to really hurt opposing defense throwing the ball. And that's where, you know, Alabama being as strong as it is on the perimeter, you know, when you've got two corners like Alabama's got right now and Patrick Sertan, the second, Josh Job, and even at the star position with Malachi Moore emerging there, uh, you can lock up opposing receivers. You can play that man coverage, and that extra defender that you need to account for the extra blocker because of the quarterback runs, well, you should be able to have a safety up in there for a majority of the game on Saturday. So numbers this week should very much work to your advantage on the Alabama defense because of your corners as much as anything. Now, the next week, you know, when you got Seth Williams and Anthony Schwartz out there, uh, it, it's, a, it's a bit of a more risk, you know, when you start manning up those guys because they certainly have the ability to, to get it done against a, a lot of the, the top defensive backs in the league. Nick likes those split safeties when he's taking on a couple wideouts like those two. Yeah, he does. But the problem becomes, you know, when you play split safety and there's that extra blocker with a quarterback that can run, um, you know, sooner or later, you're probably going to have to get one of those safeties involved to get them a little nosy. No doubt. All right. Alabama basketball in the news a little bit this week. We haven't talked to Alabama hoops in quite some time, Travis, but uh, the Crimson Tide getting its season started, we hope. Uh, next week, uh, next Wednesday, November 25th, they're slated to open uh, the season against Jacksonville State. And a little bit of news halfway breaking here as we record the Talking Tide podcast. Travis, uh, Kira Lewis Jr. has been selected 13th overall by the New Orleans Pelicans in the NBA draft. So congratulations to him for sure. A couple of stellar seasons with the Crimson Tide before moving on to become a, a first-round pick and, and now becomes Alabama's second first-round NBA selection in the last three years. been a while since anybody could say that around here. Yeah, I mean, you got to go back to, like, Gerald Wallace before Colin Sexton to find the last Alabama first-round pick. So to say it had been a desert for Alabama in the draft in men's basketball might be a little bit of an understatement, but – yeah, not bad for Kyra Lewis Jr., 19 years old, and you're walking into a situation in New Orleans where you're going to be teaming up with Zion Williamson. Uh, you've got some other established guys like Brandon Ingram. You know, that the Lakers trade for Anthony Davis uh, a year or so ago with Lonzo Ball coming to New Orleans with Brandon Ingram 
um, going to New Orleans. You know, you've got some pieces down there. If you can keep Zion healthy and on the court, assuming J.J. Redick's still going to be around down there, now you've got Kyra Lewis. Uh, of course, the Pelicans traded Drew Holiday. Um, you know, so that's, that's, that's the big news, uh, even more so than drafting Lewis, because uh, Holiday, you're talking about one of the very best point guards in the league, but that tells you the opportunity that Lewis is walking into. And so uh, it, it, exciting, no doubt about it. And uh, gives us even more reason to keep our eyes to the, to the South there and in Nolans when it comes to the NBA. I happen to be watching the broadcast just as Lewis was selected and, and your guy, Travis J. Billis uh, was asked about him. He had three primary points called him elite in transition, uh, super speedy with the ball in his hand and an underrated defender. Would would you concur on all three of those points? Yeah, I would say so. I, I think defensively, the biggest concerns you have for Kyra are just, you know, him continuing to mature physically. You know, he gives away a, a good bit of bulk. Um, and, and that also is something that will improve as he does improve that in terms of his ability to finish in traffic and at the rim against the size and strength that he's going to see at the next level. But yeah, baseline to baseline, this guy can go with pretty much anybody in the world when it comes to just outright being able to push the ball and play with speed. Yeah, he, he can definitely get up and down with the ball in his, in his hand. It's, uh, you, it's not easy to beat somebody down the floor dribbling against somebody who's not, but I've seen him do it. Uh, which is uh, a testament to his athleticism, no doubt about it. He ends up being a two-and-done from Alabama, which is really pretty unusual. And, and I, maybe just for fun, I'll do the math uh, on the first-rounders this year once this first round is in the books. But any more, Travis, th- correct me if I'm wrong, the, enti- the, the NBA draft in the first round is either uh, foreign talent or it's high school talent or it's one-and-dones. I'm going to guess there's – maybe not more than a handful of, of two and duns or two plus and duns in, in the draft anymore, at least in the first round. Yeah, it, 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 you're right. It, the Euro influence, the one and duns, um, you know, the, the thing about Kyra too, is that you could almost say he was a one and done because he reclassified, you know, his freshman year at Alabama, as you recall, he was, he was set to be a senior in high school. Yep. Uh, and reclassified and went ahead and made the jump to Alabama. So, again, we're talking about a guy who's just 19 years old here. Uh, so, chronologically, and, and if you look at it from that perspective, he he really is sort of the equivalent of a of a one-of-done. And uh, there was talk last year, as you remember, that he might even come out. But it seems like he really benefited from the extra year. And, uh you know, now we'll see what he can do down there. Got a new head coach too, Stan Van Gundy. That's another reason why I'll probably uh, be a, a very interested observer. I like Stan Van Gundy, so I like what they're doing down there. Big scoring jump from year one to year two for Lewis too. I think he averaged twelve, thirteen a game as a freshman two years ago. Uh, last year, eighteen and a half a game. So uh, put the ball in the hoop a lot more. That definitely 
uh, helps for sure. All right, the Talking Tide podcast at podbean.com, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. We want to thank a couple of sponsors really quickly now. We're going to begin with North River Dental Associates and Dr. Jack Smalley. His professional staff of dental hygienists do a fantastic job, easy to locate in Northport. You're on McFarland Boulevard headed toward Northport. You make that quick easy right turn onto Watermelon Road, and right there on your right is Fairfax Park, right beside West Alabama Pediatrics. Always plenty of parking, always a quick wait at North River Dental on a routine cleaning. You're going to be in and out of there in under an hour, typically, and of course, they can do all kinds of dental services from porcelain veneers to cosmetic dentistry, pediatric dentistry, laser dentistry, the teeth whitening services that are so popular now, endodontics, dentures, dental implants, oral surgery. They do it all over at North River Dental Associates. If you need your teeth cleaned, if it's been a while, get on the phone, give them a call, 752-3506, or reach out to them online at northriverdentist.com and make an appointment there. Again, it's North River Dental Associates. I'm going to tell you about Southern Ale House out there at 1530 McFarland Boulevard North in the Indian Hills section of Tuscaloosa. Southern Ale House, home to the prodigy chef, Mr. Fuller Goldsmith. You've seen Fuller. He's been on the Food Network. Champion of Chop Jr. there on the Food Network, Fuller Goldsmith. And his Feast of the Week. It's about every week. Fuller's going to come up with something extremely delicious for you out there at Southern Ale House. And this week, it's a blackened grouper over cilantro lime rice, and it's going to be topped with a jalapeno corn relish. How about that? That sounds like some good stuff. Fuller is very creative. And more importantly, he's able to execute, unlike very few others uh, that are out there in the cooking game today. So check out Southern Ale House. They can also take care of can take care of that uh, Thanksgiving spread for you, too. Got time to get those orders in at Southern Ale House. Thursday nights, by the way, you're going to have the live music on the patio there at Southern Ale House. The weather is absolutely perfect right now for that. So the happy hour gets underway at uh, 3 o'clock on weekdays, 3 to 6 for your happy hour. And then on Thursdays from 6 to 9, you're going to have the live music at Southern Ale House, 1530. McFarland Boulevard North. Also want to tell you about Heat Pizza Bar in downtown Tuscaloosa at Government Plaza. A couple big game weekends coming up. You're going to be in town. You're going to be right there in downtown Tuscaloosa, right there at the central parking deck at the base of it on the southeast corner. You're going to find Heat Pizza Bar. Great, great pizzas. Great full bar service. They're going to have specials for you throughout the week. Sundays, you're going to have an all-day happy hour at Heat Pizza Bar. And if college football is your thing, which we know it is, you go into Heat Pizza Bar, maybe a pregame there Saturday before that 3 o'clock kickoff. Maybe you go in after kickoff. Maybe you do both. They're going to have all the college football action on those outstanding big screens there for you at Heat Pizza Bar, downtown Tuscaloosa at Government Plaza. The Talking Tide podcast at podbean.com. Rolling on Travis Ryer and Chase Goodbread with you. A few more minutes. Going to talk uh, a few matchups around the Southeastern Conference to close things out as we do with each of our midweek podcasts during the fall. And Travis, I'm going to kick things off 
with the LSU at Arkansas game, which uh, three months ago, it would have been unfathomable, unfathomable to think that <laughs> the Hogs uh, could knock off the defending national champions. But uh, I like Arkansas. LSU's a mess. Obviously, it's been a rough go for Orgeron squad all year long. Arkansas, Arkansas has lost their share games too, but they've really they've been the surprise of the league. I think that's fair to say, or certainly one of them. And uh, Sam Pittman, I think uh, if he closes things out well this season, maybe he gets a, a look for coach of the year in the league. Yeah, I, you know if they if they're able to to finish that Auburn game, which some people would tell you they did finish it. They just weren't rewarded with the win. I think that discussion, that narrative would be even stronger. And I agree. I think what Sam Pittman's done, uh, you know, you consider that this was a job that he inherited where you had a program that had gone two straight seasons without an SEC win. Uh, and, and to do what they've done to this point in the season has been, been nothing short of amazing, but yeah, from the LSU perspective, you were a 42-point favorite over Arkansas a year ago at this time. A year later, a national championship later, you're an underdog. That kind of sums it up as to where LSU is right now. Uh, kind of a tough matchup on the road. Uh, unless LSU's run game can really get the job done, you don't like a scenario where you've got one of those young LSU LSU quarterbacks, perhaps T.J. Finley, being forced to go against an Arkansas defense that has thrived on takeaways, especially when it's been able to employ zone concepts and kind of just let these inexperienced quarterbacks throw them the football. So, uh, yeah, I'm with you. I, I couldn't have imagined this being the case with Arkansas and LSU uh, at this point in the season, but here we are. Couple games look like blowouts: Florida at Vanderbilt, Mississippi State at Georgia. I don't expect either of those two to be particularly competitive. Couple others though could be tight: Tennessee at Georgia, Missouri at South Carolina, and the Gamecocks. Travis, now uh, say goodbye to Will Muschamp after uh, several years uh, in the Low Country. Will is uh, going to be moving on and moving on with a pretty fat buyout. It sounds like. Yeah, I mean, Will, he can live anywhere he wants with 13 mil plus. On top of the seven he got from the Gators, not bad. But, uh, yeah, it, you know, the, the South Carolina and Missouri game is fascinating because you're just trying to get to kickoff with both those teams having enough players. I mean, Missouri, uh, we talked so much about South Carolina this week because of the dismissal of Will Muschamp, but uh, – Eli Drinkwitz's team is right there at the threshold of the 53 scholarship players. So, you know, I wouldn't go as far as to write this one and pin that it's even going to get played. Hopefully it does. Missouri's trying as best as it can, but uh, dangerously close to that cutoff number for scholarship players. And, uh, you know, South Carolina's had attrition this week with what, four opt-outs just on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, Mississippi, including, State, Mississippi State, too, has had an opt-out or two. Oh, yeah. I mean, that that's the thing about these opt-outs, um, you know, combined with COVID and then combined with the wear and tear that at this point of the season you're going to be experiencing in a league like the Southeastern Conference. You know, with that 53 number, before the season, I think we all thought, oh, everybody's got 85. You know, that won't be, that won't be a problem. Well, with the opt-outs 
happening in season, not just before the season, um, you know, with injuries, with COVID, contact tracing, that 53 gets up on you pretty quick. You know, not everybody's Alabama in the league. And, uh, you know, most of these teams in the league are, are, are struggling on a weekly basis, it seems like. I'm not sure anybody gets to 10 games. Uh, I guess yeah. if you look at it, it'll probably happen. Here, here are your teams that have played seven games so far in the league. Arkansas, Ole Miss, Kentucky, uh, South Carolina's two and five. They've gotten seven games in. That's it. Everybody else is at least a game behind already. we still got three weeks to go. And what it tells you is – it's out of the control of a lot of teams, whether or not it isn't that every team has had COVID issues. You know, Alabama's still sitting here at six games. Alabama hasn't been in a position where it's had to play the COVID card, but you know, it's opponent LSU did. So um, yeah, I'm with you. I think it, it, it possibly gets to the point where, whether it's for uh, the, the competitive nature of the divisions or, just sort of the games that the league wants to get played uh, from a contractual standpoint, from a network partnership standpoint, uh, it, it becomes more of maybe a pick and choose than, you know, let's start playing games on Tuesday afternoons at 3.30 to try to get them all in. You know, it, it becomes more of, okay, we're not going to get 10 for everybody, but let's try to make sure we do get Alabama LSU played if we possibly can the iron bowl certainly uh qualifies for that so uh that may be where we're headed the wild and woolly 2020 season rolls on travis we've almost got it closed out we've got six weeks to go before we can turn this page and get to 2021 (laughs) oh and then we can start trying to figure out how in the hell they're going to get basketball played with contact tracing because in basketball it takes is one positive and your team's pretty much down for 14 days it doesn't take two or three or four or five, and then you get hit with contact tracing in football uh, like you can. Um, and so, you know, what about, I guess, the potential for opt-outs in basketball, too? Because, you know, basketball, like football, these guys are getting this year. This is a free year to a lot of these guys. Um, and, and if things start to go bad, you know, what I, I'm looking too far ahead. We're just trying to. We're just trying to get football done. I know what you're saying. Yeah. You know what I thought you were going to say? I thought you were going to say that we can look forward to trying to figure out how to get 100 million vaccines distributed. Because that's going oh, to be fun, too. You know, geez. Yeah. Uh, they, they talk a lot about how many they can produce and how fast. And that's, that's all well and good. But the yeah. distribution uh, po- is a Postmates. Yeah. Completely different ball game. Uh, uh-huh. fingers Uber Eats. That. Uh-huh. <laughs> Something. I don't know. It's going to do it for this edition of the Crim- the Talking Tide podcast for Travis Ryer of BamaOnline.com and Southern Fried Sports Radio. I'm Chase Goodbread of NFL.com and Crimson Cover Television. Be sure to tune in for the Sunday Nighter when we recap Alabama's game against Kentucky. We'll talk to you then here on Talking Tide.